are entering the Freedom Hut. President Trump lawyers up in a big way. Is he finally prepared for the final showdown with Robert Mueller and his special counsel? Also, government jobs, are they for all? A lot of people seem to think so. Kanye West is out there talking about all kinds of things we'll discuss. And the Boy Scouts, what is happening to that storied organization? That plus updates on the girl who wore a kippow to her prom in Utah. Some surprises there for you. Stay with me. This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission, or mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Great to have you here with me. I am deep behind swampy lines here in our nation's capital, the District of Columbia. Uh, it's great for the political access, but bad for the soul. <laughs> that's how I would that's how I describe being down here. I'm like, oh, is that Congressman so-and-so I see across the street? And then I see a whole bunch of lobbyists chasing after him. Uh, but no, it's uh, certainly been interesting down here and uh, looking forward to telling you more about the project that I am uh, working on and what's coming your way. Those of you who have been uh, giving me suggestions about things you would like the Freedom Hut to expand to, I can tell you it is a, it is happening, my friends. There'll be a lot more coming up, and uh, I'm ho- hopefully keeping you on the edge of your seat. Who gets the final rose? We'll tell you right after this break. Uh, but I can't pull that off quite the same way. Uh, Trump, lawyers, understands uh, he understands right now that this is a barroom brawl with high-priced lawyers in the middle of it. That's what's going on. They're trying to take down this president, and that's why the release of these questions, I think, was so interesting, was so important for everyone to see that this is not narrowly tailored. In fact, I saw earlier today a, a former Whitewater prosecutor saying that given just the questions that are out there, assuming that the authenticity of them from, from Mueller, that you know he didn't give them, or at least we don't think he gave them, but that, that those were, in fact, the questions he was planning to ask. It's a two-day-long process, 12 hours, perhaps, of questioning here, uh, which reminds me of you know what friends of mine have had to go through with their security clearance process, right? Just questions and qu- hours and hours and hours. They wear you down, try to see if you mess up. Let's just take a step back for one moment and and all be quite clear. The president of the United States should not be put through this based on the flimsy, nonsense witch hunt rationale that we've been offered up to this point. It is just simply insane that this is where we are. It makes no sense for the president to have to suffer through all this garbage. And I, I really have had enough of it. But unfortunately, we are in, as I said, a barroom brawl. And you can't be the guy in the corner who's like, excuse me, sir, I do not think I would like to partake in this brawl. That guy gets hit with a pool cue. He's he's not going to be standing on two feet for very long, right? You got to square up and deal with what the other side is uh, is doing to try to get you. And that's where Trump is right now. Uh, he, I think, also realizes that uh, there is there's a, a little bit of a shift going on right now from 
the war of attrition between the special counsel and Trump and the White House, right? A war of attrition where it's just day in and day out. Whose narrative can damage the other side more? You know, Trump having to play a lot of defense, going on some offense too. But the idea being that they can isolate the administration from its supporters, that Mueller and the special counsel can prevent or can scare away top legal counsel from coming to Trump's defense, that if they just chip away at this administration day in and day out and they make it as hostile as possible for the president of the United States, that eventually it will it will crack. Eventually they will get their way. And uh, I, I think that now what you see is a shift with the questions out there. There's an understanding that th- this is coming to a head at some point. I'm not saying it's going to be over, but there will be a, you know, the, the, this will be the big battle in, in act two of a three act play. Uh, this is going to be where victory or defeat is established. And that's why Trump now having a, uh, a new lawyer on the team. I know Cobb, Ty Cobb is uh, stepping aside, says he's retiring. Uh, but he's now got the lawyer who was uh, who has been an impeachment lawyer in the past, so understands the game, right? Flood is his name. So that's a big change. That's a positive change. Rudy Giuliani and his team, I think that's good. Rudy understands this stuff really well. You know, he may, you know, has he lost a step? Is, is he the best in the game right now? I can't tell you. I don't know. You know, it's a very specific thing. You're, you're not just looking for a great lawyer here for Trump. You are looking for a great lawyer who can handle the pressure of what's going on right now and also uh, understands the stakes and what the other side is going to try to do. Um, so there, there, I think, there lies the, the plot right now. You, you have the Trump administration, the president himself, putting some good pieces around him to, to fight. And then what I'm, what I'm going for here with the, the moment that is approaching us is you're either going to have Mueller coming forward with some kind of a report, or you are going to have the destruction of the Russia collusion narrative in advance of that report. And I think that's really important. I think that we have come to the point, and I've seen some others advocating for this. Uh, uh, our friend Kim Strassel from the Wall Street Journal has been doing great work on it, and there, there are others too. But I've been saying it for a long time. It's time for Trump to go on offense, declassify it. Take whatever measures you need to as the commander in chief to get the information out there about how we find ourselves at this point in time. There is a presidency at stake here. The opposition started out the anti-Trump left pretended it was all about our, you know, our, our democracy and our institutions and that was just all sanctimony. That was all a cover for the the venom in their hearts when it comes to this president and the agenda and and what they think could have been what should have been, which was a, a Hillary presidency. Would have been amazing. That's what they believed they were entitled to. They didn't get it. So they've wanted payback all along, and they've also wanted to derail the president. And now I think we're at the point where waiting is... Not to, you know, the, the the attrition component of this, that try to wait out the other side, it's not going to be good enough. 
I think Trump should take everything he can and make it public. We should know who gave the dossier to whom, when they saw it, how did the FISA warrant get done, what surveillance. People say, oh, the sources and methods, the sources and methods. Unless someone's really going to be in imminent danger from the disclosure of these sources and methods, uh, it should be out there for the American people to know. Yeah. Does, does, is Carter Page losing sleep at night because people know that he was a subject of a FISA warrant? I don't think so. In fact, he likes to go on TV and talk about it. So there are a lot of games that are played here. A lot of games that are played by, and in some cases, the same people who may have, in fact, leaked information to hurt the president. You know, they're all about leaking the dossier, but they don't want transparency about how the dossier got leaked. I guess it's not really surprising, but this is... Uh, this is now, an, it's an all-out war. It has been for a long time, but I don't think it's enough for the president to be on, on defense. I know that he tweeted out today, quote, what are they afraid of? Why so much redacting? Why such unequal justice? At some point, I will have no choice but to use the powers granted to the presidency and get involved. Yes, do this. Some of the people around the president have not served him well in this process. There never should have been a special counsel. It should not have been, it should not have happened. It wasn't necessary, it wasn't needed, it wasn't fair. But we have one because of these really odious characters, Comey, Patrick Fitzgerald, now working with Comey, but you know he was the Scooter Libby guy, uh, Sally Yates, Mueller. This is... Uh, this is what we are seeing playing out right now. And Trump needs to make sure that those characters don't get their way, which would bring down this presidency. I mean, is this president being set up? we got Jonathan Turley, one of the more prominent legal analysts. we got the, we got the Dersh, and we got Turley talking about all the latest here. So we don't actually have them joining on the show. We've got some sound bites of them, but that's good enough for today. We'll get them another time. Dersh and I are... I was going to say we're buds. Technically, we're not. He has probably no idea who I am, although we've met many times. Um, but we'll get him on the show at some point. Turley on tr- whether Trump is being set up. Play clip two. I think there may be a setup here. Uh, whenever you go into these things, you have to assume that it could be a perjury trap. That doesn't mean you have to fall in it. I've done a lot of depositions that are a lot more complex than this. He has very good attorneys that will be there with him. If he preps, if he prepares with those attorneys and listens to them, yes, I think you could get through this. I also agree with them that the alternative is not particularly appealing. If he decides to bunker down, uh, then Mueller could hit him with a subpoena. Now, he could challenge that in federal court, but I think he would lose. Uh, now, does he want that to be the media being generated going into the midterm elections? Um, that's a tough call to make, and it will come at costs. Dershowitz also weighed in. The Dersh on the subpoena. Play four. I think where we're going is to a subpoena. I think right now the president's legal team should have no interest in answering these enormously broad questions voluntarily. They'll get the same broad questions artfully asked at a grand jury, but at least they'll be able to challenge, A, 
the entire process of subpoenaing the president. They'll lose on that. Second, you think that they will lose I on think that? they will lose on that. I think they will win on some areas of questioning. For example, why did you fire? What was your motive? What was your reasoning? I don't think you can question presidential acts that are covered by Article 2. But you can't get to intent. I don't think you can or motive. But I think what you can get to is what the president's most vulnerable on, and that is business dealings before he became president. No court is going to deny the grand jury the power to get mm. to those questions. So the irony is those questions that he has the best legal right to prevent are not the most important questions, whereas the ones he has no legal right to prevent are the most vol damaging questions. Let's just play this out for a second. Can you imagine what the country is like the day after Mueller, say, tries to... Let, let's just go into the future a little bit here. We'll, we'll take a scenario. Trump does speak to Mueller. And there are questions, which I think is a terrible idea. He shouldn't do it. He should fight it every step of the way. And I, I actually disagree with Turley there that, you know, well, you can't just hunker down. No, no, hunker down. Best lawyers you can. And also fight it in the court of public opinion as much as possible by making more information public. We need to know the real collusion, as we have already seen, was between Hillary, the Democrats, and the media, and deep state elements in the intelligence apparatus and the FBI to stop Trump and then to take Trump down after they couldn't stop him. We know where the collusion was. We need more facts, more information about that. We need that to come out. That's the way that you can stop this nonsense from just grinding and grinding on and and stymieing this presidency which is the whole purpose of it anyway uh, but on the on the business dealings think about what the country feels like the day after or the day of an indictment by the special counsel for trump's statements about business dealings that we don't care about that weren't even illegal and occurred before he was even running for president. How, how the thing? I mean, the the level of political tension will be off the charts. It'll be nothing like we've seen in my lifetime, to be sure. And they're going to try to take the president down on that. I think the answer is, by the way, yes. They're definitely going for impeachment, which is going to be the whole push for the uh, midterms. They are saying elect Democrats will impeach this president. But if they try to go for criminal charges, it's going to be pandemonium. I, mean, I really do think it's going to be dogs and cats living together in mass hysteria uh, because it's just too much. People will not tolerate the swamp acting in quite that way. It's, it's a bridge too far. Uh, 844-900-2825. If you would like to chat, it would be great to hear from you. We've got our lines open. We're getting uh, working hard here to get all of our tech up to speed in our mobile Freedom Hut down here in D.C. Uh, 844-900-BUCK. Uh, we'll talk about Kanye. We'll talk about uh, this government jobs study I thought was really interesting. And uh, a, a whole lot more. Some other random topics I think you really enjoy. So a packed show. And uh, stay with me. The release of, of these questions um, was a, a very aggressive act, and it's most likely someone who doesn't want the interview to occur. You don't poison a well that you intend to drink from. And that's what this was an effort to do, to show that the questions were broad, to possibly justify a refusal by the president to sit down with Mueller. 
Otherwise, most of the questions, I'd say 90%, were highly predictable. If you were to sit down and write out the questions about three months after Mueller was appointed, most of these questions would be those questions. Yeah, the questions weren't really all that surprising. It's just the scope of them, right? How many there were and what they covered that I think gave a lot of folks a, a bit of a shock. Andy McCarthy's written a great piece here in National Review. I want to give you some of the uh, highlights from it. Uh, first of all, he, he, like me, has been opposed to this whole special counsel all along. It, it's really an extension of a counterintelligence probe, which is not a criminal probe, at least predominantly not a criminal probe. And there has been no specific crime identified for this. And now this has just turned into lawfare against the president of the United States. That's what this is. Andy writes, that was all buck speaking. Now I'm going to take you to some of what Andy writes here. Uh, I'm assuming the authenticity of the question, uh, questions that special counsel Robert Mueller reportedly wants to ask President Trump. The questions indicate that after a year of his own investigation and two years of FBI investigation, the prosecutor lacks evidence of a crime. Yet he seeks to probe the chief executive's motives and thought processes regarding exercises of presidential power that were lawful regardless of one's view of their wisdom. If Bob Mueller wants that kind of control over the executive branch, he should run for president. Otherwise, he is an inferior executive official who has been given a limited license, ultimately by the chief executive, to investigate crime. If he doesn't have an obvious crime, he has no business inventing one, much less probing his superior's judgment. He should stand down. End quote. Uh, Andy's piece here really is a tour de force. I mean, he, he just rips this whole thing apart, as he should. Uh, and I, I obviously agree with him on this, but it is a travesty what is being allowed to occur here. Think about all the damage this is doing to you, my friends, listening to this right now. Uh, this is not helpful to the economy. This is not helpful to your 401k, to your savings, to the strength of the dollar, to policies that affect uh, policies from, from trade agreements to immigration and national security. We have a presidency that's spending a lot, maybe even most of its energy, dealing with the sore loser, underhanded gutter tactics of the Democrats using this special counsel probe to try and nullify the Trump presidency. And this is why I'm saying it's it's more than just hunker down and wait for it to end. Trump going on offense, totally agree, but he should take action too. He needs the best lawyers. I mean, this is where he needs to he needs to unleash the dogs of war, so to speak. I mean, he needs to be ready to throw down. And I think Trump is. I think he's gotten a little bit of a wake up call in the last few days on this. We've got more. Uh, stay right there. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. Lines are lit, team. If you want to chat, 844-900-2825. Tom in Boston. What is up, my friend? Buck, great show. Listen, Thank I'm you. telling you, this deep, this deep state is real. We've got to get rid of this deep state. I'm telling you, they've been selecting our president for years. I don't know how uh, Ronald Reagan get in. That was a fluke. I think they selected Obama. Nobody ever heard of Obama. This this president we have now, President Trump, he's going to go down as the greatest president we've ever had if they give him a chance. But the deep state doesn't want to give him a chance. They're trying to get rid of him. 
Yeah, they got him boxed in right now with this whole investigation and Mueller and all this stuff. I mean, this is crazy. They they're talking yeah. about they're talking about putting dozens of questions to the president of the United States for which there is still basically zero evidence of any kind to suggest the president was involved in anything criminal. You know, where does this end? Does the special counsel get to just keep asking questions for the next five years? Can he just keep going forever and ever? I mean, at some point, there has to be good judgment used by the prosecutors involved in this. And all we've seen from them up to this point is that they're being tools of the deep state, willingly or not. Exactly. They have to charge him with something. If they're going to uh, investigate him, have charges. And there's no charges. This deep state has got to go. I hope with you, Tom. the second term and gets rid of it. I hope so, too, because I think there could be some great things for the country. Tom, thank you for calling in. Look, it's not it's not a a, a sure thing that the Trump presidency is going to work out, work out great, folks. I know that there's a near I, – I have to remind myself of this sometimes. There, There's this near miraculous quality – to Trump's whole rise at this point. I'm not saying that Trump, you know, is not that he's performing miracles. I don't worry. I don't think Trump is walking on water and, you know, his his hair swoop is like a, a golden halo from the heavens or something. I'm just saying that it's been so surreal what he has been able to withstand up to this point. I think it's easy to start to think, well, Trump can handle anything. This guy's been he's been litigating with people his whole life. You know, he understands this game. He knows what he's doing. Problem with federal prosecutors is you you mess up once and you're done. It's not live to fight another day. It's not, uh, you know, I'm going to write a big check or I'm going to, you know, bankrupt that that company or scrap that deal. You know, if if you are facing federal criminal charges, if you're going to be a convicted felon, I mean, it's never the same after that. It only has to happen once. And this is where discipline matters so much, I think, for Trump in terms of messaging and in terms of his defense against all this. And I also think he should be doing a lot of offense, too. Dean, also up in Boston. Hello, my friend. What's up? Hello, Buck. So this is what scares me to my roots and my house and my family and my neighbors and my cousins and everything. The people who are running amok with unendless power, millions of dollars, no actual budget. Hundreds and hundreds of lawyers is these people are not elected. We have no say in these people. So they take off and they run wild. Then they have a cheering section of people that were elected that actually get to make laws that you and I have to follow or we pay a fine, lose rights or go to jail. But they don't. So well, you just saw. But did, did you see laws. this, Sam? I mean, uh, Dean, I meant to get to this earlier. The. Uh... FBI guy who leaked classified to the media and and lied about it. And, you know, I think he was up from Minnesota, former FBI agent. No criminal charges. How does that happen? What would happen if you and I did it? Prison. Prison and people would be going on TV saying that we got we we got what we deserved. That's what they'd be saying. It's crazy. And and what just bothers me is that I I have. I, the only recourse I have, because I'm up in the People's Republic of Massachusetts, so I have the almighty right of uh, the Messiah, the you're, one you're who really, the Constitution more than anything, Elizabeth Warren and Ed Markey and the others. That You're, you're really uh, at swamp at swamp site north, I think we could call it. I am. I'm surprised on the phone with you. I don't hear small arms fire in the background. I mean, it, it's, it's crazy. Everybody, every Democrat, Republican, Independent, if you've never voted before, 
This should scare the hell out of you. If they can do it to the president and anybody else, they can do it to you. Yeah, well, I, I think that this is where, and thank you, Dean, for calling in. This is where the the press is so complicit in in the, the dishonesty that the Democrat Party, you know, it's really interesting. I always think about this. I go back and forth on it. Do the Democrat, does the Democrat political apparatus take its orders from the media? Or does the media take its orders from the, I, I could make a case either way. You know, who who really has, you know, who has more power when push comes to shove? Zucker or Pelosi, you know? Uh, Anderson Cooper or Chuck Schumer? I mean, you know, you start to look at this. I don't know. It's a it's a tough call, actually. You know, who is a who is more important to the left? You know, Rachel Maddow or Debbie Wasserman Schultz? Uh, the answer to that is Rachel Maddow. Actually, <laughs> I don't think Debbie. I don't think Debbie's got quite the same wasta as they would say in the Mid East as as she used to. Not the, not not quite the same clout. Um. Love this. Lines lit, everybody. Thank you. It gets me fired up when the team is, is lighting it up early. A lot of times I know you guys wait till later on because that's when I tend to take more calls. But, you know, sometimes the first hour, I'm like, you know what? I want to hear from the squad. Sam and Charlotte, what's up? Buck, Buck, how's it going, buddy? You're a fan from Charlotte, North Carolina. Sam, uh, let, me, let me ask you a couple of questions. Okay, so, so Mullo's got a nothing burger after a year and how many months? Of investigation yeah. was a year and six months. Going on a year and a half now of just nothing, nothing burgers with cheese, raw nothing in the middle. With cheese. Yeah. And so now he's going to try to catch Trump in some type of inconsistency in, the, in his question in Q&A. Is there anything but please tell me there's something the American people can do? We thought if we went to the polls that we actually could do something. But we have Republicans up there that I guarantee you that they want Trump to crash and burn because he wants to drain the swamp. Oh, I think there are a lot of Republicans that are are trying to do as much as they can to stay out of. They're like the guys that show up to the battle, but they stay on the outskirts of it because they don't want to actually get into where the, where the actual dirty, nasty fighting is going on. So they're technically on Trump's team. But not that many are willing to roll up the sleeves and and throw some throw some uh, left hooks. You know, not that many are are getting in there. And I know plenty of them that look like they're kind of looking for the exits already, which is, you know, they, they'd rather instead of being in this political fight in in the uh, second part of Trump's first term, they want to go get a cushy job at a think tank somewhere, probably down the street from where yeah. I am right now. Yeah. So they got they got weak summits. But, but listen, I wonder I wonder how many Democrats, I, I want absolutely nothing to happen to this country, but I wonder how many Democrats would suffer gravely if this thing with Trump plays out to an impeachment and maybe even a conviction. And they don't understand that. I think they do not understand the, the momentum that's there, and they're trying to distract it. So anyway, hey, man, we appreciate everything that you yeah. do, and uh, keep it rolling. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Sam, great to talk to you, my friend. Shields high. Brent in New Mexico. Wow, we're co- covering much of the country here. What's up, Brent? Hey, Buck. Shields high, man. Shields high. Well, I've been hearing, I, I hear about the deep state and everything, and I get you, but I feel like he's fighting with one arm tied behind his back because if you'll notice, he's the executive of the executive branch. He's not able to executive execute on DACA. He's not ex- able to execute on um, immigration through travel ban. And uh, now he's fighting this as well. He's not able to do any of his 
authority is delegated to them by the Constitution, man. They've got him seriously hamstringed into this. And I bet you you'll see court cases coming against him if he makes a deal with North Korea. What do you think? Oh, uh, th- there's there's no question that the the never Trump or the uh, the yeah I guess you call him the never Trump judiciary is doing everything they can to stop the president, including issuing what are clearly fatuous garbage decisions. But you have to go through the process, right? I mean, there, the Supreme Court is going to rule that Trump was right on the travel ban. Think of how many people you've heard say, oh, my gosh, he's destroying the Constitution. Eh, wrong. He's actually completely within his rights to do what he did as commander in chief. But they don't like him. They don't like his policies. And so they are willing to destroy the very institutions and checks and balances and separations of power and constitutional rights and prerogatives that are necessary for the sound functioning of this government. They're willing to destroy all of that as long as it takes down this president. It's it's truly remarkable i mean you do have to start wondering can trump do anything without some official now now you got Mueller, who wants to second guess him on firing comey he has an absolute right as the commander-in-chief and as the senior most executive of the united states government under article two of the constitution to fire comey because he didn't like what comey said that morning at breakfast whatever it is he he can fire him because he doesn't like his socks it's his right to fire him for whatever reason he sees fit that Mueller is going to try to get to, well, it was for corrupt reasons. You know, Mueller, get real. It's complete and utter crap. But here we are, man. They're dragging the president through all this. Look, But look what they've got to offer in response. What are they going to say? Oh, you know, fascism didn't come to America. Oh, the stock market's actually holding pretty strong despite everything else, although I do think it's going to have a big correction in a little while. Uh, you know, the economy's doing really well. Hiring's really good. By the way, the, the latest uh, from... The uh, tax cut is that a lot of it is capital capital investment and not, in fact, stock buybacks, which means that companies are expanding and hiring. It is working more so than anticipated the way that Trump and the proponents of that tax cut wanted it to. So you got all these these things happening that matter, that are important, and they just want to talk about Stormy Daniels and Robert Mueller. That's it. That's the only thing that matters to this country, these people. They have lost their minds. And they're really your point about or the point that some of you are making about how it's going to hurt them, too. What do they think it's going to do to the country? How do they think hiring in the stock market and our national security and our sense of. Uh, of. Comedy as a relate as a nation, uh, how do we think that that's all going to hold up when Trump goes through all this? Yes, sir. I hear you, man. When Brent, I, I are- go ahead. Well, I argue with my liberal friends when uh, Obama was in office. And I don't have a problem with Obama personally. I don't like his policies, but I kept telling them over and over, you're not going to like the precedent he sets with his executive orders. You're not going to like that when a Republican's in office. And I thought I'd be right on that, but it turns out I'm wrong because they really have done it. And I appreciate yeah. you taking my time. Bye. Yeah, man. Shields high, Brent. Thank you for calling in from New Mexico. Uh, Tim, I, I want to talk to you about this this study. That's, that's troubling, especially because I feel like right now I'm uh, – I'm closer, closer to this than, well, some of you are probably in the D.C. area. But a, a report, a, a poll out that says that almost half of Americans believe that there should be government-guaranteed jobs for all. This is nuts, and I will talk to you about what it means, but you got to stay with me. 
San Francisco's Nancy Pelosi has told the Boston Globe that she will run for Speaker of the House if the Democrats win a majority of seats in the midterm election. Pelosi, of course, the very first woman Speaker in history. This may not be good news for Democrats. Republicans use Pelosi as a cudgel in their ads to convince people not to vote for Democrats, and they're not wrong. We might like Nancy Pelosi in the Bay Area, but America doesn't. Things that are more popular than Nancy Pelosi, according to an NBC Wall Street Journal poll, include the NRA, current Speaker Paul Ryan, even Donald Trump. Among all Americans, Donald Trump is okay, far okay, more okay. Why, than why Nancy is he, Pelosi. He's, he's being so mean. She's a, mass, she's a master legislator. Pelosi. <sighs> it's great if she runs. It's great. It'll be, uh, or not if you run, you know what I mean? If, if, if we can make, make it more about Pelosi, the better, um, more about Pelosi, the better. Uh, so I also want to tell you about this, this poll. It's just a quick thing. It was from Rasmussen. 46% favor government guaranteed jobs for all. Uh, <laughs> you know, this is the problem. It's the problem with why we still have people who want to rehabilitate the history and, and image of socialism, even in this country, why the left embraces redistribution. It's really tough to fight with free stuff. Because first you have to convince people that there's no such thing as free stuff. And there's just a part of our brain that wants to think that that's not the case, that you know that, that you can get things for free that there's no cost associated with it and having the government guarantee jobs i mean bernie sanders that's right baby he's back 2020 bernie i really that'd be amazing by the way they, they should just go for it. they should rally behind the burn you got bernie sanders and uh kamala harris and that's the team she'll, she'll be the veep and you know at least it'll be an interesting election hopefully they don't put some I don't know, some boring bozo up there instead. At least with Bernie, we'd have something to watch, something to be interested in. It'd be also interesting to see how many people on the left that talk about how Donald Trump doesn't know this or that policy try to square Bernie's numbers uh, when it comes to the economy, you know? Bernie, how are you going to pay for a free college for everybody? Money from the stuff, from the things, you know, from the places. There's going to be plenty of it. Don't, don't, be, uh, don't be stingy. Uh, but 46%, because Sanders says that the federal government should have a program that guarantees all Americans a job with health insurance. And almost half the country, now, likes the idea is one thing. Wants the government to take action on this might be a slightly, it might be a different number. I would hope that it's a different number. Um, but we have to remember this. There is a very strong contingent still in this country that believes that greater government action, despite everything that they see, Despite the fact that, you know, we just had tax season and we all have to go to the DMV and we're all even now seeing kind of the unfortunate dirty kitchen of the deep state in the FBI and, and intelligence apparatus and elsewhere. Despite all that we see for government failure, it's still nice to think it, it, there's a comfort that people derive from the belief that the government can make their problems go away. The government's your friend. It wants to make you safe and warm at night. It wants to be your buddy. Just not true. I used to work for the government. It does some good things. It does a lot of things very poorly. 
and it tries to do a lot of things that it shouldn't be doing at all. Can you imagine what a what would that program even look like? We're just going to pay more and more bureaucrats, more and more people to be on a self-paced work schedule where the pro, the process, you know, I always say the process is the punishment. I've got a corollary to that. When it comes to government employment, for the most part, for the bureaucracies, process is the product. It's true. Show up, do some stuff, go to some meetings. Are you changing anything? No, but paychecks there, it's just the same. Uh, but we do not want you do not want the government guaranteeing you a job. That that much I I can assure you. We got to talk about Kanye coming up. I'm in the process of helping to launch a really exciting uh, media venture down here in DC team and we have all these jobs that we are trying to fill. You know what our number one tool is? You know how we're getting all of the best resumes and in fact now getting and hiring the best candidates? ZipRecruiter.com. That's right. I'm a ZipRecruiter user. I am using all of the different algorithms that they have in place and the interface to get the best possible candidates lined up in the queue. And now we're even interviewing and hiring using ZipRecruiter. It has been phenomenal. We've been getting top quality candidates. And that's no surprise because 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate in just one day, just like we did here with my new project. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash buck to try it out for free. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. One more time, ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Mission decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. People say feel free, but they don't really want us to feel free. I felt a freedom in, first of all, just doing something that everybody tells you not to do. For me to wear that hat means I want to make America great in my own way. They're attacking me with these smoke screens that I'm not going to fall for. The mob tries to tell you what to think. The mob tries to make all blacks be Democrats for food stamps and stuff. It's the mob. By the way, you're just talking to the emotion. When you hear about slavery for 400 years, for 400 years, that sounds like a choice. <laughs> you was there for 400 years and it's all of y'all? It's like we're mentally in prison. Kanye getting uh, a lot of attention still, saying all kinds of stuff. Some of it, I think a lot of conservatives stand around saying, yeah, wow, very astute. Others require a, a bit more, hmm, a bit more of a uh, of an explanation, perhaps. I don't know. But let, let's start with some of the early, the earlier Kanye, Kanye's uh, earlier works. Uh, by the way, I, I can't say that I've ever really been a big fan of Kanye's music. And I do listen to some hip hop. I, I just am, is not really, uh, the first thing that I ever heard him do, I think actually was, uh, to the wire. I think it was called about when he survived a car accident. But look, he's a, obviously a prolific, uh, prolific hip hop artist and, and more of a cultural icon now than even just somebody who's in one genre of music. Uh, but he's saying things that are, Upsetting to to Democrats, to be sure. And he's continued on with it. At first, it seemed like, well, maybe this is just... People say it's a publicity stunt, by the way. Isn't that kind of condescending, though? He's just doing this for publicity. Why is it that we hear from so many... 
I take a very realistic point of view on this. I've been telling you from the beginning, don't, uh, don't give, don't, don't, don't give your heart to, that sounds a little too intense, but, uh, don't place any bets on Kanye's conversion to conservatism just yet, because a lot of these celebrities, there is an, an impulse among conservatives to anytime somebody who's a big celebrity says something even a little bit conservative. I think some years ago, who's the guy from the ranch? You know, the guy who's married to Demi Moore. He did the, 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 like, the like gotcha show. Thank you. Ashton Kutcher. Some years ago, he was like, you know what's attractive? Being kind. And everyone's like, see, he's really a conservative. Like, no, I, don't, I mean, I don't know. You know. Or some actor will say, you know, hard work is really important. <gasps> oh, my gosh, he's a conservative. Well, well, that's an important sentiment. Not sure we could call that person an ideological political conservative. Not, not quite. Um, and with Kanye, it seems like he's just being more of a of a free thinker and challenging some of the very entrenched orthodoxies that are out there. Uh, but I I do like to to put this into into a context as well. Uh, Kanye says this stuff, and you'll hear people say, "Oh, you know, he's it's a it's a stunt." Some TMZ writer was saying he's off his meds and, uh, you know, there's just this immediate widespread effort among the uh, Democrat left media to not just, you know, they never say like, yeah, like, let him have his say, you know, whatever. It's fine. Oh, he's he's just doing it for attention. What about all these other actors that get up there and say dumb things all the time? We're supposed to listen to them. I hear people say things like, oh, you know, George Clooney should run for president. Based on what? Because he looks like a guy who might be cast as the president? It's not exactly a great not exactly a great resume in and of itself. I mean, if that were the case, Mitt Romney would be president. Have you ever seen a guy, like, let's be honest, folks, have you ever seen a guy who looks more like he could be cast as the president in a, uh, in a movie with Harrison Ford, for example? Sorry, Mr. President, I don't dance. Jack, the old Potomac two-step. You're going to keep this one in your back pocket. Remember that? It's a great scene in Clear and Present Danger. Uh, so, you know, it, it's, it's interesting to see what, what the reaction is to Kanye as much as anything else. So, like, I, I, I take two points from this. One, don't fall in love with the first celebrities' comments that uh, seem like they might be a little bit on our side of the fence because you're going to get burned. And, and also, that's just not how we do things. And then two, notice how they just dismiss this guy. This uh, this African-American icon, not to, you know, not even just in the, in the music realm, but in pop culture in general. And he's not really allowed to have these, uh, he's not really allowed to have these views. They dismiss them. They're somehow not authentic. They're not really him. Uh I I've I've heard some try to explain the uh, the comment that he made that slavery was a choice. I'm not Kanye. I don't really know what he was saying, so uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave that just because don't really get I don't really get what he was going for with that. Uh, I mean, clearly slavery was a system premised upon treating human beings as property and, and extreme violence and. Uh, so I, I'm not really, I'm not, I don't, I'm just saying I don't get, you know, I don't, I'm not a great uh, Kanye translator. 
I, I can't pretend to know what's going on with that. But he said some other things that certainly upset the Democrat left because you're not really supposed to say these things if you are a prominent, wealthy, and revered, at least in, in a lot of circles, black American. You're not supposed to say some of these things, and that's what's getting Kanye so much uh, attention right now. Play uh, 16. This reality has been forced upon us. It is a choice. Just like when I said slavery is a choice. We can make our own reality. We can talk about history, but not too long. We need to talk about our now because we can fix and start loving each other now. I say we have no enemies. We don't have enemies. Black people have a tendency to focus and march when a white person kills a black person or wears a hat. But when it's 700 kids being killed in Chicago, it's okay. It's okay for blacks to kill blacks. The discrepancy, I'm going to deal with the the end of the, look, these are Kanye rants. There's a lot of stuff that he's packing into them, but the discrepancy that he talks about at the end, about how when you have a white police officer that kills a a black man, usually it's an unarmed black man when, when it turns into a national story, uh, there is a, it's treated very, very differently then uh, when all these other all the other homicides that occur across the country and you're talking about a media focus i mean this was one of in the pre-trump era one of the most dishonest things the media was engaged in this is while obama was president was making it seem as though cops were killing unarmed black men in large numbers in this country without cause basically because of systemic racism um, you know, this was definitely the case at CNN. I was at CNN when they were doing this. It was it was an embarrassment. They let me debate Van Jones on this issue once, and then never again because I won. Uh, but they would claim on a you know they would they would run all these stories about how this was happening, and look at Ferguson and this story and that story. And then if you actually look at the numbers, something like if you if you took all of the cases that was clear. Uh, clear use of force, completely acceptable for law enforcement to use force based on everything we know. If you took all those out of the equation, how many times in a given year is a uh, is an unarmed black man killed by police in qu- questionable circumstances? That doesn't mean wrong. It just means where there's at least a, a possibility. It was like 50 or 60. A country of 320 million people, 50 or 60. Now, at... Every life is precious. Every person deserves their civil rights, their due process. I'm not dismissing it. I'm just saying if you're looking at a problem that's a national plague, that seems to be really uh, exaggerated as a problem. It has been really exaggerated in the media for a long time uh, in terms of how commonly it occurs. And then you also see why is it that there's so much less of a focus Um I mean, a, a great example, just looking at the media, MSNBC, CNN, and the other the other big networks, they weren't particularly concerned with the spikes in homicide in, in Baltimore or Chicago, for example. Around the same period, they were covering these stories about police violence against unarmed black men. Why is that? Why is it wrong for us even to question that? You know, you start to ask this stuff or you, you begin to engage in a discussion and there are people who immediately want to push you into a corner and try to paint you as a racist, uh, try to paint you as unfeeling, as not caring about 
the plight of uh, underprivileged minorities in the inner cities of this country. You know, they don't want to have a discussion about it. But when Kanye wants to talk about it, maybe it'll get some attention outside of traditional conservative circles. Maybe there can be a, a shift in this. Um, then he, Kanye was on TMZ. He got really animated about this. Um, you're going to have to hear this for yourself. Play 18. I've never been into politics. I just love Trump. That's my boy. Obama was our opioids. It made us feel like everything was good. Trump is a human being also, and he's doing a lot of things to actually help business owners be able to go past all these fake laws and rules. Einstein says the definite of insanity is doing the same thing, expecting a different result. I believe that Kim Jong-un didn't believe that Obama was crazy enough to come at him. Sometimes you need some crazy to change something. Steve Jobs is crazy. Now we're all on Steve Jobs' phones. They say Trump's crazy. They say I'm crazy. You know, can I just tell you, if you go back, if you roll tape, I, I know I said it on Kennedy's show on Fox. Uh, Kennedy's great. I'm pretty sure I said it on the radio, on, on my show, this show too. Early on, like, you know, month one or month two of the Trump presidency, said, you know, when looking at his foreign policy, I said, you know, you want Doc Holliday to be the guy with the street howitzer, meaning the, the shotgun. You want someone sometimes to be the one who, you know, you want a guy that's a little unpredictable who can actually be the one that, to bring consequences to bear because otherwise everyone thinks that, for example, the credible use of force is just, it's just claptrap. It's just talk. It has no meaning. And with Trump in North Korea, I've been saying this all along too, that with his tweets, it, when you have an entire you have an, an entire regime in North Korea built upon the perception of the unassailable, untouchable, unbeatable leader for another world leader to finally say, no, nah, that guy's a punk. That starts to change the tone of the discussion, doesn't it? Because because Kim Jong-un can turn on his people in, in the past and say, yeah, the world co- international community, they, they hate us and they're they're the reason that we have all these problems, but they can't really mess with us. Look at them. They always end up giving us food. They always end up giving us stuff because they can't beat us. So I, I think Kanye's point about Trump being uh, a little bit, uh, a little crazy, to borrow his word, is really meaningful. I, I've been to so many, and I, I worked at a number of, as a research intern, really, so I'm not going to pretend like it was some high-level thing, but I've worked at a number of think tanks, which I'm thinking about now because I'm here on K Street in D.C., and it's not, uh, you know, they're right, they're right on the street. They're on the block, a lot of these think tanks. And look, some of them do great work and research, but there's a lot of them. Womp, womp, womp. Let's do this. Let's fix this problem this way. Blah, blah, blah. It's all the same stuff, year in and year out. You know, how do we fix this problem? Oh, more multilateral cooperation. How do we fix this? Oh, more cooperation is like the favorite word of any think tank. Oh, we're going to find more cooperation with our allies. You know, how do we defeat jihadism? Oh, more, you know, you get it, right? It's always this is a lot of the same rep- repetition of the same thing over and over again. If you have a disruptive president, you want him to be disruptive. You want him to, to to be as he is on the world stage as well as on domestic policy. And I think that's what you're getting. So there are some insights in what Kanye is saying here. I'm not saying all of it is, you know, this is, he's not the second coming of Cicero. I mean, I wonder if he could work Cicero into a rap. I bet he could, actually. 
Cicero would be kind of a cool reference to get into a rap song. Uh, 844-900-2825 team. Got some more on this. And then uh, I might talk, I'm trying to think if I'm going get to get to Afghanistan today and the situation there. I might hold that for another day. A bit of a deep dive on national security. But I, I, have, um, I have much more planned with you, team. So uh, stay right there, and uh, we'll be back. If you don't know about them already, I really want you to hear about Nine Line Apparel. Look, Nine Line is a veteran-owned and operated patriotic lifestyle brand, but they're also really big into giving back. So they have a partnership with NASCAR driver Jeffrey Earnhardt to give back to children of our nation's fallen. And until May 9th, if you go to NineLineApparel.com, you can get Nine Line's Remember the Fallen Memorial Day shirt. With each shirt purchased, you have the option of submitting the name of a fallen soldier, and these heroes' names will cover Jeffrey Earnhardt's car at the Coca-Cola 600 over Memorial Day weekend in Charlotte. The charity that Nonline and Jeffrey Earnhardt are partnering with is Angels of America's Fallen, whose goal is to support the children of those lost due to military service, whether in combat as a result of injuries or suicide related to PTSD. So please, support our fallen heroes. Go to NineLineApparel.com to get this exclusive Memorial Day t-shirt and all of their other patriotic apparel. I knew Facebook was just going to start doing stuff like this, but sure, sure enough, here it is. Facebook is now... Uh, Ranking news organizations based on trustworthiness. This is according to BuzzFeed. And here's what uh, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg had to say about this. Quote, we put that data into the system and it is acting as a boost or a suppression. And we're going to dial up the intensity of that over time. This was at the Rosewood Sand Hill Hotel with media executives in the audience. We feel like we have a responsibility to further break down polarization and find common ground. Uh, so that's a part of this. But let's understand that Facebook is now going to be taking an active hand in pushing up or pushing down news sources. Oh, gee, I wonder if that's going to be abused. Now, you may be thinking, Buck, I don't get my news from Facebook. That's fine. Although a lot of you, I'm sure, without even realizing, you end up clicking on links. You see things that people post, right? But it may not be your, hopefully, your main source of daily news information is the Buck Sexton show. But when you look at what's going to be happening in the years ahead, more and more people are getting their news via social. That is, in fact, now a, a primary method for people to get their news and information and that means that these mega platforms having control over the content in a subjective sense, too. Remember, they're going to be adjusting the algorithms however they want. You don't get to see that. You don't know. And this is why I've been saying all along, there are some of these media organizations, I can tell you, they're buying traffic. They're not nearly as popular as they pretend to be, particularly in the digital world. And they've been playing games with this all along. They're gaming what they call SEO, search engine optimization. They they pay to get better. I know people say, well, Google won't do this, but they pay to get better uh, results on search. They pay to get Facebook traffic. You know, remember this is not this is not uh, a utility. 
It's a business, and people with political opinions are running this business. So this is something we've got to keep a a close eye on. Um, And uh, I I think that it's only going to become more apparent as, as time goes on that these are not just things that exist to allow people to connect. That's a, a that's a cute little storyline as to what Facebook and these other groups do, but it's not really what ends up happening. They are the they are the new mainstream media. They really are. The digital mainstream media is going to be much much more powerful. And this is where you know we we need a conservative or at least a neutral platform for us to share information, news, and ideas. We really do, because this is going to get worse and worse with time. And, uh, you know, everyone thinks that Facebook, no, no one can come up with an alternative. Or, yeah, tell that to tell that to uh, MySpace and Friendster. What does Facebook have that they don't? Well, hundreds of billions of dollars, I guess, at this point. But uh, Hillary, hello, she's back. She's got some insights to offer you on uh, why maybe, yet again, the newest, I have a, the newest reason why she didn't win the election. You have not heard this one yet. It's amazing. And that it just comes after May Day, International Socialist Workers Day, is fitting. Stay with me for it. He's back with you now. Because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. So I saw earlier today that uh, Candace Owen of Red Pill Black was reportedly going to go, well, according to Alex Jones, that's right, Sexton, your hair's fake. You weren't in the CIA. You're the worst. Uh, that uh, Candace Owens was was going to go on InfoWars with Alex Jones. I've since seen that she is not going to do that. Uh, but I saw that it was initially reported or said, wasn't reported, by Jones, by Alex Jones, that Candace and Kanye were going to come on a show. And I just think to myself, why would, why would anyone do that? That's not, I don't think that's a good idea. Of course not, Sexton. The Billabergs have everything I need on you. You're the worst. I've seen that look, that smug, self-satisfied look. Uh, he has seen that look, I guess, that I have. So uh, they're not doing that, which was a good thing. But we were speaking about Kanye before, and I was like, that would that would not be... Look, people can do whatever they want. I just don't think that would be advisable at this point. It would not be a good thing for Kanye to show up on Alex Jones's uh, platform. But he, he can do as he sees fit. Yeah, that, that's fine. Jones is a, a character, as my grandma would have said. He's a character. Uh, literally. Um, now, I, I wanted to... to give you some insight courtesy of you know who i missed you hello uh she was at some kind of i don't even know what this was where where was she again she's at some kind of a sit down a talk of some kind i don't know but she's she's talking about things and just <laughs> that's really specific but you know she's talking about some things some stuff out there and uh she was asked a question about or or the discussion went to whether being a capitalist what that meant for her. We have the audio for you. Please oh this was at the remaining or no reimagining social change forum. I have no idea what that is, but please play the audio. 
presidential candidate since World War II that actually had to stand up and say, I am a capitalist. <laughs> uh, and you did. Uh, did it hurt you? Probably. I mean, you know, it's, it's, hard, <laughs> it's hard to know. But I mean, if you're in the Iowa caucuses and 41% of Democrats are uh, socialists or self-described socialists, and I'm asked, are you a capitalist? And I say, yes, but with appropriate regulation and appropriate uh, uh, accountability, uh, you know, that, that probably gets lost in the, oh, my gosh, she's a capitalist. I, I mean- oh, my gosh. She's a- <laughs> look, at, look at Hillary letting loose up there a little bit. Can we all take a moment, though, to realize that what she said is kind of a big deal? I know it's not news to you. It's not news to me. But for the uh, presumed next president of the United States and the Democrats nominee for the president of the United States to come out and say that she basically lost votes because she's a capitalist, because so many Democrats in this country are actually socialists that strikes me as important that strikes me as something we should we should uh dig into a little more worthy of some more of our time because i remember when i first got into the media business i would say that somebody would oh you know you throw around the term socialist anytime anyone talked about socialism in the context of barack obama for example even though he was very fond of speaking about fair share, fair share, socialism. Uh, He didn't talk about socialism, but he talked about your fair share. People would say that to say that Obama even had any socialist tendencies was racist. Just because if you wanted to shut down any criticism of Obama, just say it's racist, right? That that was an easy easy game that the left played with, with great effect for most of the Obama presidency, really all of the Obama presidency. But I know that a lot of Democrats get very, they get very uh, crotchety, very persnickety when you say things like, you know, what's the difference really between between you guys and the socialist parties in Europe? You know what the answer is? The socialist parties in Europe are in some cases more willing to actually advocate for the level of taxation needed to support the welfare state that they want. That's a big difference. Democrats don't want high taxes on everyone. They just want high taxes on high earners, not the wealthy high earners. You go to a country like Sweden, everyone's paying high taxes. Everybody's paying really high taxes. And actually, in some ways, and this is where it gets really mind-boggling, countries like Denmark have more free market attributes in place than even we do here in some ways they're actually friendlier toward the free market than we are they just have a really they're not really socialist countries they're just countries with high taxation and a big welfare state but there are socialist parties in europe and you look at their platforms you say how is it different from democrats it's not it's not significantly different from what democrats are advocating they want higher taxes more government programs greater confiscation of wealth and then the redistribution of wealth. I just think that this is noteworthy. You know, that Bernie Sanders was a Democrat socialist in the last election and did as well as he did, really should have won the Democrat primary, as we know. The deck was stacked against him. They burned the burn. You know, they they left him out in the cold. They left him out in the cold, high and dry. Uh, If it it had been a free and fair election, I do think that Bernie probably would would have beaten Hillary. But that means that a Democrat socialist openly and self-described 
would have been the Democrats nominee. And so you start to you start to force yourself right to confront this. Why are we not allowed to say the Democrats are socialists? What really separates them then from socialists? And I, I think you see some. There's a, a whole conversation the country really needs to have. Remember, we had the, there was a Communist Party USA. It actually was pretty robust for a while in the 20th century. There have been labor movements. We just had May Day, socialist workers movements in this country. The Democrat Party just uh, took in, really merged with the American socialist lines of thought, the, the American socialist movements that came to be in the early 20th century and, and you know the decades leading up into the Cold War, all of a sudden just became more mainstream Democrat stuff. That's all that happened. They, they merged. The socialists of this country didn't disappear. They merged with the Democrat Party. And now what you're seeing is that they are the Democrat Party. So, you know, Hillary's being very blasé about it because what does she care anymore, right? But I think that this uh, this deserves a bit more attention, that there are pro- the most prominent people in the Democrat Party who are talking about how they are losing votes or that she lost votes because there's so many socialists in the Democrat Party. Uh, they don't like that term, though, because it is too honest. right? What do Democrats stand for? Well, you know, whatever they say they stand for. right? What, what's, what's the primary ideology of the Democrat Party? It was liberalism, it's progressivism. How separate is it really from democratic socialism as practiced in Europe? The answer is almost indistinguishable. So, I mean, I, I can't run around quite yet and defend calling all the Democrats a bunch of commies, but socialists, the case is getting the case is getting bigger. It's getting clearer, more obvious here. Um, I uh, will roll into a quick break here, team. I, I still want to talk to you about. Uh, oh, we got to talk about CNN's choices in its coverage and then also the cheap out that the uh, young girl out in uh, Utah wore. And I've got updates on that and much more. Stay with me. If the American people didn't have the lowest opinion of the media now that they have all time, it would be it would be a shock to me uh, because they should, quite honestly. And now that we've seen just how completely united most of really all of the mainstream media is in their opposition to this administration, it would be hard for anybody not to feel like the fix is in. And no network, I think, really characterizes the dishonesty of Big J journalism in the era of Trump more than CNN. Uh, They, you know, I I watched it in the sense that I have it on monitors in the Freedom Hut, and and I keep tabs on some of their different shows, and I see clips of it. But I'm aware of what they're putting on air on a regular basis, and it's just madness. You know, there will... You'll you'll turn on Fox News and there'll be some big break in the negotiations with North Korea, an intractable nuclear, intractable problem, a nuclear rogue state, you know, that that could affect the lives of millions of people. And Trump is making headway there that is completely blowing away what all the critics were saying was possible before, even to this point. And then I'll turn on CNN and they'll, they'll they'll have a photo of Stormy Daniels. I mean, they've been putting Stormy Daniels up there as though she were getting her own show. And now I see this from from Newsbusters as well, that CNN has put the lawyer for the porn star, uh, Stephanie 
uh, whatever her name is, Stormy Daniels, Stephanie, whatever her real name is. Uh, but CNN has hosted the porn star Michael Evan. I'm sorry, the porn star lawyer. <laughs> he he is not a porn star. Excuse me. Whoa, uh, fifty nine times in less than two months. Okay, he is on CNN literally every day for the last two months. In fact, more than every day. Every day, this guy goes on there, you know, to talk about the the great the greatest minutia imaginable in this case. They're putting him up, and we all get to see, and for what? What do they really think is going to come of this? Meanwhile, Trump's approval rating is 49%. So they are willing to completely sacrifice the pretense of objectivity. And and I would tell you that they're willing to just make a, a dumpster fire of their credibility at CNN. That's what they've been doing in order to get Trump, and they haven't even been able to to, to break it down and, and make Trump's base and, and really the Republican Party turn on him. We do not care. I mean, you know, that, that's there's a difference, by the way, between not caring and celebrating or not caring and uh, and advocating for. But we simply do not care about this allegation from uh, a, a decade ago. You know, and if we're if we're going to start disqualifying people from public office for marital infidelity, it's going to be a long it's going to be a long list. And then we start to get into, well, what are what are we really looking for in a leader? What do we really want in a president? And and I mean that in, in the ter- in terms of how it affects all of us in our in our day to day lives, what it means for the country. Uh, I don't I don't turn to the White House for a role model. I certainly didn't uh, during the Obama years, and I didn't uh, before that or before that. So this doesn't really change my thinking in any way. I think it's also because conservatives have always at least had, look, there's a tension here, and I'll identify the tension. Conservatives believe in, because we believe in individual rights and and responsibility, and we have a a built-in ethics and morality that we are operating under as part of our political philosophy, right? With liberals, it's just the mob. Whatever the mob wants, we want that. You know, that's what feels good, what the mob wants, whatever the emotions of the moment dictate, that's what liberalism goes for. With conservatives, we operate within a moral framework. I know this is the kind of stuff that if any liberals heard, they would freak out at me, but I don't care. Uh, Conservatives operate within a moral framework. That doesn't even mean we're more moral. It just means we have, we will identify standards of conduct. We'll identify that. But we also know we live in the real world. And... All of our ideals are also informed by experience and reality and history. And when you're looking at a president and what he can or, or can't do for you, I think the first thing conservatives want has to, has to do with policies and the agenda. Um, and we, we don't become as emotionally entwined, or we shouldn't at least, maybe some people have with this president, but we shouldn't become emotionally entwined with the individual. Uh, we should think of it as supporting the, the you know the promises that they that they made and the overall trajectory of what the the day in and day out message from the government is about government policy right same way say you know i'm i'm a i'm a catholic right so you you look at the pope recently he said they should just outlaw all or they should just ban all weapons forget about just banning guns I mean, it's a nice idea, but it's preposterous, right? 
It doesn't that doesn't help anything or anyone. But I don't go to the Pope for how to you know how to deal with weapons and policy and stopping violence in that way. Uh, with this Pope, I don't really go to him for anything. But in general, I would go to the Pope for when he's speaking ex cathedra on on matters of church faith and doctrine, and that's you know that is what counts. So I don't have this big problem separating out Trump, the the man before he even took office from Trump in office now, and CNN, I, I just wonder what they're trying to accomplish other than antagonizing Trump supporters, but they're not really watching CNN, or just in, and this is what I think the primary motivation is. I mean, why would they put Stormy Daniels, as Newsbusters is saying here, um, uh, Stormy Daniels' lawyer, on on TV 59 times. It's just not that interesting. It's just not really that uh, that good of a TV segment unless the entire purpose of this is to allow the delusional anti-Trump left and the crybaby Democrat party to just continue to cling to this one, cling to the fiction Trump isn't really the president, two, that any day now he won't be the president. And three, they owe him not even a a modicum, even a, a smidgen of respect, none. And it plays into that mentality that they have. Oh, they, let's put the porn star that Trump was with on TV. And you can't even make this stuff up because a lot of the journalists that are making such a big issue of this were the same ones who, under Clinton, did far worse and proven stuff uh, when it came to marital infidelity and, and all the rest of it. Uh, they were staunch defenders of it. So we've already seen that. We don't forget it. And thanks to the Internet, we can even retrieve it. And we can use it as as evidence, so to speak, in the court of public opinion. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, CNN has really disgraced itself. I mean, it needs a total overhaul. They need new leadership, uh, top to bottom. They, they need new people calling the shots over there because it's just turned into a clown show. Uh, I want to talk to you about the Boy Scouts coming up in the third hour, which maybe it shouldn't even really be called the Boy Scouts anymore because of some recent... Uh, policy changes that are going on and uh the boys and girl scouts really and i think it's just a matter of time before it's the boys and girls and and also you know whatever else that they you know, z and these made-up genders that exist now uh i want to talk to you about that also an update on the uh, chipow dress it's fun to say uh, that that uh, young woman in utah wore to her prom we've got some interesting Interesting new things to add into that discussion. So we have uh, much more coming team. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. We'll be right back. What if I told you that you could be drinking incredibly delicious coffee, you could be supporting veterans and a patriotic American brand, and showing your love for the Freedom Hut all at the same time? Well, I have an answer for you that will cover all of that. Black Rifle Coffee. Black Rifle Coffee is different from the other guys out there. This is a veteran-owned and operated outfit that offers delicious, premium, small-batch, roast-to-order coffee, and you also are going to be supporting America's service members and first responders every time you drink a cup, every time you buy a bag. I'm a subscriber, so I get it delivered each month. You can check that out. Whether you're just going to get your first bag, get some gear, or become a monthly subscriber like me, make sure you go to blackriflecoffee.com buck, that's blackriflecoffee.com slash buck, coupon code buck15. That's buck15 for 15% off. Blackriflecoffee.com slash buck, coupon code 
Buck One Five. Hey, welcome to hour three of the Buck Sexton Show. I think I've told you before that I had a, a short and undistinguished career in the uh, Cub Scouts. Um, so I, I guess I, I never made it to Boy Scout level. I think I was a Cub Scout, right? I was first grade, so. Uh, but but I did it for a little bit. In New York, it's it's kind of sad because it's like, oh, like let's go, you know, build a tent and make a fire, and it's like, well, can't really do that. No, that's not really happening. You know, we can we can go outside and uh, choke on some smog, but uh, we we cannot build the tent to make a fire. So it wasn't really that easy to do in New York. I did it for a little while, but I know that it, there's a, a tremendous tradition, millions and millions of young people across uh, the country, um that have done this for stretching back for decades and it's changing right now. Uh, this is the piece on CNN today. Goodbye boy scouts. Hello scouts. BSA less than a year after the boy scouts of America decided to invite girls to join the organization announced that it will refer to its older youth program as scouts BSA starting in February, 2019. The name change uh, comes amid a new campaign slogan, Scout Me In, that was made to emphasize the group's expansion from just boys to boys and girls. Uh, The name change only applies to the program currently called Boy Scouts. The Cub Scouts program will not undergo a name change. Uh, Why do we have to to make the Cub Scouts program, or or rather the Boy Scouts program, co-ed? Is it really that offensive to our, our modern sensibilities now to have any kind of separation of the sexes? I just don't under, I don't really when I say I don't understand, that's not the right way. I lose patience with this kind of thinking. Because I don't see a good reason for this. I think back to I, I'm a product of maybe for better or for worse. But I'm a product of many, many years of single sex education, 10 years in a. Uh, primary school and then four years of high school. And I know that you know, at least there were some periods there where it was really it was really nice to be able to focus on uh, other things than what the girls in the class thought of me. Uh, now, I'm, I'm not trying to make this about co-ed education. I'm just trying to bring my own experience to this. I mean, I remember in high school being a kid who uh, wore, see, I, I always, fa- I figured out the school was always kind of cold because in this old building and we had a strict dress code and a really mean Dean who liked to go around and give people detention 30, 40 minutes of staring at a wall. If you were found in any way, you know, kind of outside of the, um, the, the, the uniform expectations. And, uh, it had to be like khaki pants and a dress shirt. Anyway, uh, that stuff though, I could get around because I would just wear a fleece and they couldn't make me take the fleece off. So I would go to school a lot of time wearing it like a T-shirt, you know, like a, you know, basketball T-shirt or something and and a fleece over it, which was very comfortable. But, you know, you go through all this stuff in high school where you go through the awkward phase and, you know, know, I, oh gosh, I had to, I struggled with bad skin on and off for years, which was always really hard. Um, And, you know, it's just something that as I as I continue to to look at all of the different reasons 
that there are these you know organizations that are separated by male and female uh, especially for young people i just think that there's a, a good reason for it there's a space for it and yet here we are you know now it's got to be boy scouts and girl scouts together it it does feel like there's a, a radical equality program that is uh, is pushing much of this thinking um and and they're going after people younger and younger with all this stuff too i also saw this was from a feminist author named uh, Jessica Valenti. She put this out on, on Twitter. She wrote, To the folks who find LGBTQ language, I mean, just the acronym is confusing, but to find that language confusing, if my daughter's second grade class can get it, so can you. And then she posted this whole, like a big uh, bulletin board of LGBTQ uh, terminology. And I got to tell you something, okay? I w- was, uh, at a young age, I, I had a, a very big vocabulary for my age. And always did really, really well on all the standardized tests, particularly having to do with either reading or vocabulary. That was just my skill set. That was my area. Uh, although at first I had a speech impediment. Everyone thought I was dumb and I was going to fail out of school. And, you know, thankfully I had parents who believed in me and, and I ended up proving all the haters wrong. Uh, but I can tell you this. In the second grade, I did not know what cisgender was, and that was probably a good thing. I didn't even know what cisgender was until a few years ago because I'm pretty sure it's a made-up word that they just came up with, or if it's not made up recently, it's not something anybody was using. But these are second graders, so it's basically the same age as the Cub Scouts. You know, I'm just I'm tying these things together because I see there is a there's a pretty radical agenda here of of not just uh, eliminating the differences between the uh, the sexes, male and female, but also then on top of it, teaching that there's all these distinctions among the two genders that don't really exist, right? So male-female should not be separate, but bi, transgender, cisgender, queer, and straight are all separate things. Huh? And this is all from the second grade, uh, allegedly at least, from this second grade bulletin board from this woman's, and she's promoting this and saying, look at how great this is. Uh, This is transgender. According to, according to this, I guess they're, they're 11 or 12 years old is a person who is assigned uh, male or female at birth, but doesn't identify that way. What the heck does a second grader know about that? And why are they being taught this stuff that I would look? There's still a lot of back and forth on what this really is. It is not physical. As I've discussed with you before, transgenderism cannot be based on the physical, uh, meaning that it's not a, a chromosomal abnormality or anything like that. Because it, And then they'll say, well, that does exist in science. And I'd say, yes, but the people that you're talking about, transgender activists, Just think there's something else. So it's completely a psychological thing. But they're teaching this to second graders. Uh, Cisgender, a person who is assigned male or female at birth and identifies that way, also known as gender. Uh, Queer, this is for the second graders. It's complex and can mean a lot of things. A person who doesn't identify as straight or bi or gay or lesbian. 
This is for second graders in the classroom, folks. What does any of this even mean? It doesn't identify as straight or bi or gay or lesbian. What is that then? What's left? I don't want to put out some suggestions because they're going to be pretty out there. But, okay, you're not straight, you're not gay, you're not bi, you're not lesbian. I mean, asexual is a term, but that's not what queer means. And I just think that the fact that they're trying to teach this to second grade, they're propagandizing kids. So on the one hand, we can't allow for, with the Cub Scouts, to bring this all together, we can't allow for young men to have a place where they can be men among each other and not have the influence of, you know, the opposite sex on them, which can bring its own stresses and changes. So that that can't be allowed. But on the other hand, boys and girls starting at like age nine need to be told what queer and transgender is now by their teachers in a classroom setting. Uh, you know, I still remember I found out. Uh, I found out when I was in the fourth grade. This is a true story. A kid named Andrew told me what sex was. That's how I found out. He was just walking around and looking someone in the face and saying, do you know how people have sex? It's when a guy takes his privates and just smashes into a woman and they have a baby. <laughs> I remember I was like, <laughs> I was horrified at the time, but it turned out he was kind of right. <laughs> sort of. I never really, I think I was in the third grade. I was thinking I was in the third grade. I'll never forget that kid said that to me, and that's how I learned about it. Uh, pretty funny. All right, uh, we'll be back with uh, with much more, team. Stay with me. Team, I only drink in moderation, and so what I am going to kick back, relax, and have some kind of alcoholic beverage, G4 tequila is my choice because I want to make it count, and I want the best. G4 is the pinnacle of master distiller Felipe Camarena's passion for crafting truly great tequila. And I'm down here in the D.C. swamp. It is hot. It is sticky. Nothing better if you're sitting out on the porch or on the street or up on the rooftop or at a bar than having a nice glass of G4 tequila at the ready. It is simply delicious. This will blow your mind. It is not like any other tequila that you have had. Put out of your mind whether you even like tequila or not at this point. Try G4 and you will love it. Visit G4Tequila.life. That's G4Tequila.life for more details. Or give them a like on Facebook at Facebook.com slash G4Tequilas. Craft your own luxury with G4. When can you lean in for the kiss? That is a question that I've heard uh, talked about a lot more in the era of the Me Too movement and all the big uh, revelations about some of the very high-profile, wealthy, and powerful predatory men out there. But, you know, it, it also reminds me back of back when I was at uh, Amherst, my first week, and their official college campus guidance was at each stage. I'm just telling you, all right, this is what they told me. You might be sitting there like, Buck, this is bizarre. And I'm telling you, I agree. But they said at each stage of the sexual escalation process, you had to verbalize your next move before taking it. And I'm so, and I remember actually I was there. I was a little bit subversive even early on in my college career. I said, "So, so if you're kissing a girl and you want to put your hand in the upstairs area, you've got to like ask first." And they said, "Yes." I said, "What if you want to go for like the small back or, you know, you're you're kissing and you're going to go for uh, you know, 
you're gonna slide the hand down around around the 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 tush. Uh, yes, you have to ask. And I said, so so you guys mean you don't mean like for the big things? We're all adults here, you know. We know what we're talking about. Uh, you you ask right? That's understand. You you mean literally every body part, every move? You want verbal consent beforehand? That is your guidance. And the answer was yes. And I was like, this seems like not a particularly romantic approach to male-female relations, I've got to say. Uh, that all said, turns out that not only Amherst in the early 2000s and many other colleges had that, today, in the year 2018, the Pentagon has spent almost $700,000 on, quote, can I kiss you training. <sighs> so... The training event, according to the Free Beacon here, is aimed to provide soldiers with skills to build respectful sexual relationships and tools to apply effective communication with partners, etc., etc. Okay, we all get that. And that's all fine. Um, but I gotta tell you, uh, there's one part of this where I said, really? Um, can I kiss you as a six... Let me give you some of the details. It's a 60 to 90 minute training session whose... It's taught by a guy named Mike Domritz, who's an author and public speaker who travels the world teaching people about consent. A hallmark of the training is telling troops they must ask a woman before a kiss ending a date, no matter what. Uh, you know, I don't know about that one. May I kiss you? Excuse me, miss. Um, I've enjoyed our steak tartare together, and I really liked that uh, molten chocolate lava cake. Uh, and it's a lovely night, and the air is breezy, and I would like to press my mouth against your mouth. May I please have your consent? That feels like it's not going to work out in your favor. Uh, lots of times. Uh, you know, th there is this... And I guess maybe you're not allowed. You know, masculinity is uh, increasingly just considered toxic as a thing. Masculinity needs to be it needs to be tamed. It actually, for progressive leftists, uh, it really needs. I guess all leftists are progressive, so that's a repetitive. But for the left, for the liberals out there, they want to tone down and, and if possible, even eliminate masculinity everywhere they can, as much as they can. There, there is a, a male-female dynamic at play in in uh, romantic relationships where it's just biochemically going to be m more times than not. I'm not saying all the time that the guy makes the first move. That's all I'm saying. Makes the first move. And this is stuff that we've all picked up through books and movies and in our culture for a long time. Now, ladies out there, if you've made the first move and it went well, congrats. And, uh... I I respect the game, but to say that a guy has to ask a girl for a kiss at the end of the date strikes me as a little rigid. Now, you get into, okay, Buck, what's your suggestion? You know, you kind of do the, like, the, the head side twist thing, and you kind of lean a little close, and, she, you know, she's going to know what's up, and then she has the option of meeting you halfway, literally, or not. And uh, to all the guys out there, who uh, guys like me who have been on, I've been on a lot of dates, let me tell you, lots of dates. Most of them went very well, 
in the sense that uh, we got along fine and, you know, everyone was very polite. Uh, almost all of them, actually. Cause I'm a gentleman uh, with uh, excellent manners. But, you know, I just feel like once in a while, maybe you, 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 you think you think you're getting waved in, not to home plate, but to first base. You think you're getting waved in and, and you get the little like chin down kind of headbutt looking thing and you realize, whoops, misread that one. And then you're donezo, right? The problem with some of these guys out there is that, and we're now we're talking about like, like the bro call and all this stuff, is you don't get to like try to make someone do that. You're just offering up the option. It's kind of like saying if you're standing there and you put your, arm, your hands behind your back and you extend your, your chin forward and you make a like a kissy face and you know she knows what you're trying to do at that point, she can either get in on that action or be like, you're a weirdo, I'm not, I'm not kissing you. Right? I feel like that's the consent stage. Am I missing something? I mean, yeah, you can't grab someone and try to force them. That's assault. But you have to now verbalize it beforehand? I mean, go back and watch the terrible movie Hitch, which is a really bad movie. The, the whole thing was, you know, at the end of the first date, if you like her, you think it's going well, you got to lean, you know, you lean in for the kiss. Are, are we really that fragile now as, as a species that we need to tell everybody that we, we need like a verbal consent before making the move. You know, I th- think about this. What am I going to do? Write it on a napkin? Like, excuse me, when we have finished our desserts, I would like to uh, slobber all over your face. I just think this is, and the Pentagon spent $700,000 on it, which in, in Pentagon terms is like, is nothing. They could have spent like $7 million on Can I Kiss You training and everyone be like, meh. So, like, I'm sure there's some good stuff in the training, but that one point about, about uh, you know, you have to ask at the end of the date for a kiss. Go back and watch the movie Hitch, which I don't think anyone thinks that Will Smith is training whatever that, what's that comedian's name, Brandon? You know the guy I'm talking about. James. Kevin James. Kevin ja- Thank you. Yes, Kevin James. You know, I don't, I don't think anyone thinks that Will, that Will Smith in that movie is training Kevin James to be a predator, but he's like, you know, lean in to kiss her. If she doesn't want to kiss you, she just doesn't kiss you. You know, you, you, there's like a, a meeting halfway part of this. Anyway, maybe I'm just old fat, but old fashioned now is getting getting the heat. You know, I'm just a little more old fashioned about this stuff. <sighs> Let me know on uh, in the roll call coming up here. Well, for tomorrow, write me on Facebook. Tell me if you think I'm right on this. And uh, when we come back, I got an update on this is great, by the way, an update on that prom dress. That's a chipao. The uh, traditional Chinese dress that that uh, uh, nice young lady in Utah wore. Turns out that the liberals who think that they're standing up for everybody else might have uh, jumped the gun a little bit. I will give you details on that right when we get back. Team, I have an update for you from the cultural appropriation prom dress battle that I told you about earlier in the week. No surprise here. Guess what? It turns out that the people who were all upset on behalf of Chinese culture and the Chinese people. Uh, But the the Americans on Twitter who are like, oh my gosh, how could you wear that dress? They're so upset about it. They didn't stop to see or even think, maybe in China this could be considered just fine. And now from the South China Morning Post newspaper, it turns out, 
that uh, the the predominant opinion that they're picking up from social media in China. Remember, this young woman, uh, Kezia Dom, wore the chipao, uh, which is a traditional Chinese dress. And it turns out that a lot of people in China think that this isn't cultural appropriation. They think it is cultural appreciation. Oh, wow, what a shock. You know, this isn't the first time this has happened. There have been some other incidents in recent history where, for example, a, a Native American tribe, uh, the, the, you know, the name was changed from Native American tribe only to find out that, you know, maybe the local tribe actually thinks it's pretty cool that the university mascot is named for them, right? You know, this is just, this is such a, a Stalinist view of, of culture that the left takes on all of this. Uh, think about all the different ways in which you show your appreciation of different cultures on a regular basis. Um, and you can either be doing it in a way that is appreciative, or you obviously could be doing it in a way that maybe is uh, mocking or exploitative or something. But, you know, this is the difference between, yeah, a, a fraternity party where all of the, you know, the, the, the privileged kids dress up as like, White trash, that's happened at some of these fraternities, or as gangbangers, that's that's not meant to be respectful or nice. Uh, so I understand why people are bothered by that. But a university mascot, for example, that, that's a symbol of, of strength and unity. And that's why when people say, oh, the fighting Irish, they need to get rid of the little leprechaun. No, it's supposed to be all about that the fighting Irish are a bunch of fighters, and this is cool. It's not meant to demean or to debase. And you see this with a girl to her prom. This is obviously a special occasion, you know, in American culture. We, in American, speaking of American culture, we make such a big deal out of prom. I don't even remember my prom. And not because I was drunk, because I wasn't. Because kids, not while you're underage. No drinking. Um, but I don't remember my prom really at all. And it's at least I can say in New York City, it really wasn't a big thing. No one really paid much attention to it. But I know in a lot of other parts of the country, probably because they're in a co-ed school also, so you get prom king and prom queen and all that. But if you wear a dress to your prom, you're wearing it because you like it, because you think it's pretty, and because you're trying to celebrate that aspect of the culture. Or maybe, and here's a crazy idea for the libs out there, Maybe you just think it's a pretty dress and don't care where it's from or what it's all about. And that's okay, too. It is a dress. You are allowed to like something and then wear it. But I just thought this was great that uh, that the Chinese people on social media, and look, I, they didn't do some big uh, testing on this or something, but this is the the predominant sense of what uh, of what actual Chinese, remember, there's a Chinese mode of dress, the predominant sense that, that you're getting on, uh, what's the name of the, uh, Weibo, which is a huge Chinese social media network, I believe. Um, they said, uh, they were saying things like, very elegant and beautiful, and I suggest the Chinese government, state, television, or fashion company invite her to China to display her cheapao. The Chinese people are like, oh, this American girl thinks that this Chinese dress is pretty. Isn't that great? You know you know what that is, folks? Right? That's a normal human reaction. That's what any person who wasn't steeped in social justice craziness, that's how any person would respond. It's flattering 
how, how is that not, you know, when I go to, you know, eat Indian food and I'm like, Indian food is delicious. I'm not stealing from the people of India. I'm actually paying in many cases, people who are of Indian descent because their food is delicious because I love Indian food. I love a lot of different kinds of food. You know, it, it's, it's a high five. It's not a slap down. And we need to be willing to stand up and, and defend that distinction in our culture. That's what I meant by, the, you know, the difference between what you wear as a prom dress to look pretty and, you know, a fraternity party where they're all wearing, uh, you know, white tank tops. People call them wife beaters very improperly, very on PC. Uh, that's what they refer to the tank top. I'm, I don't. I'm just saying that's how some of these fraternities do. Uh, there's a big difference. And we need to understand these differences and and distinguish what's being done here i'm just happy to see that yeah no surprise plenty of chinese people are weighing in on this in america it's how could you wear the cheap out in china they're like looks pretty on her we're glad she liked it maybe you know take some photos and use it for the chinese tourism ministry or something why not you know get more people to buy more people to buy cheap pals maybe there's a business here that's what we that's the way we should think about these things all right we got roll call up next Ain't no party like a Team Buck party, because a Team Buck party don't stop. Yeah, we got Buck turned up to 11. It's time for Roll Call. I think that may be my favorite of the roll call intro so far, but the team and I will have to come up with uh, some new ones here uh, because, you know, we like to keep you on your toes. Uh, If you want to be a part of roll call, it's pretty straightforward. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Let me know what you think. Give me thoughts about the show. Tell me, tell me things, tell me things in the roll call because that's how we like to do it. And uh, let's now get into it. Um, James writes, cultural appropriation. No one had a problem with Nehru jackets in the late 1960s. Well, James, uh, you are in fact correct. Although whenever somebody brings up Nehru jackets, I immediately start thinking of Team America World Police when he's like, not the Nehru jackets. But if you haven't seen that, you won't know what I'm talking about. Uh, But yeah, cultural appropriation. We spent some time on it today. It's just crazy. People are just people are just nuts. Uh, next up, we get Matthew, uh, who writes, Buck, great show. I'm a proud OSS team member. The way the MSM is describing the refugees at our border, I thought I was watching the final scene in Tears of the Sun. Great movie, by the way. If these people were only fleeing their home country, why not just stay in Mexico? The whole narrative is a joke. Keep up the fight for rational thought. Semper Fi. Uh, thank you very much, Matthew. Appreciate having somebody OSS writing in. I always do. Uh, Tears of the Sun is is a pretty watchable movie, although I feel like it's a little relentless in the tension and it's a little depressing in some parts, obviously. But uh, it's it's well done. That guy with the faux hawk who plays the uh, seal marksman is particularly uh, compelling in that role, I always thought. Uh, and Bruce Willis does a very good job. You know, Bruce Willis... He's he's been getting it done now for going on 40 years. So I got to get the guy credit Uh, next up here. Oh, but one thing about Tears of the Sun is I'm pretty sure they uh, they have a made up country. I forget what the name of the country is. And I'm like, why can't they just pick a country? You know, what's with the made up country thing? 
Uh, we have Erica who writes, we're going to Washington, D.C. this summer. Our hotel is in the Chinatown section. I'm hoping to indulge myself in dim sum. Can you recommend a place? We're taking the kids. Any suggestions on what not to miss is greatly appreciated. Oh, Erica, you know, I'm just getting my feet wet here in the swamp once again. I'm I'm a uh, reformed swamp dweller, and now I'm, I'm starting to remember where the streets go and everything else. I'm getting my bearings here. In terms of stuff that you can't, you know, I'm there are a lot of people that are, in New York, I'm as good as it gets. I could tell you neighborhood by neighborhood what to see, restaurants. I, I am a I'm a true New York connoisseur, uh, and uh, I'm a aficionado of all things NYC. D.C., the swamp, I'm a little out of practice. I'm a little rusty. Uh, I'm a big fan of Georgetown for walks, just going around Georgetown. Uh, M Street's really cool. But, you know, you got to do all the, the classic D.C. stuff, right? You got to go. Uh, can you tour the congressional, uh, you know, the Capitol building? The congressional building. Uh, can you do that now? I don't even know. See, I, I'm not up on these things. But you go see the Smithsonian, and there's all kinds of fun, good stuff to do. All kinds of cultural stuff, you know? Do the cultural things. Go to cultural things, and uh, God bless. Uh, in terms of restaurants, I really can't give you Rex, because I'm my favorite, some of my favorite place is closed. I figured out today, I walked past an old apartment building I used to live in. I was like, I moved in here 13 years ago. That's a long time. I couldn't believe it. Anyway, next up here. Um, by the way, have a great time, Erica, in D.C. Uh, let's see. We have Kim, who writes, Thanks, Buck, uh, for reading my best friend's message last night on the air. You helped me make her 35th birthday the best and most memorable one yet. Shields high. Well, Kim, I hope so. Thank you so much. I, I look at it brings me a, a lot of joy knowing that uh, folks appreciate the show and they like getting shout outs now and again. So I, I hope I hope your friend enjoyed it and hope she had a very, very happy birthday. Uh, and there you have it. Uh, Nick writes, Buck, I'm in D.C. applying for a Chinese visa for my MBA program. Your show has been on my truck as I drive to work in Camp Lejeune. I'm a Marine who spent his uh, childhood in the former Soviet Union. Are you available for a quick lunch? Um, you know what, Nick? We'll see if we can get a coffee. How about that? I'll, I'll, shoot, you, uh, I'll shoot you some info here, and uh, we'll try to make that happen. Although right now, I'm back and forth a lot between New York and D.C., uh, but if I'm around, I'd be, be happy to chat and uh, talk to you. You know, any, any, any Marine who wants coffee time with Buck, if we can make it happen, we'll make it happen. Uh, next up, we have... Whoa, hold on a second. Jonathan, oh, this is so cute. And you guys can't really appreciate this because you don't see the photos. And we are going to get, Producer Mike, can you can you do a deep dive in, into the uh, the inbox here and pull out the cutest baby baby uh, animal photos that our friends, our, our Team Buck family owns here? Because there's some really cute ones. Our ferret Luna at 12 weeks old. I think the ferret's so cute. Uh, I like ferrets. Any any warm-blooded creature I have an affinity for. I can't, guys, I can't get behind the whole pet lizard thing. I, know, I don't know. Turtles, I'm, I'm okay with. Turtles don't bother me, but any other lizard, it just, uh, I feel like we're just a few days, you know, any day now, there could be some kind of an incident with nuclear waste or, or toxic waste or something, and then the lizard gets really big and intelligent and tries to eat me. I, I just don't trust lizards. You know, you can call me... A lizardophobe, but and snakes are obviously the worst thing. 
don't know, between snakes and spiders. It's tough. Brandon, what's worse, snakes or spiders? Spiders, smaller, get in your shoes. There you go. Yeah, there's nothing about, like a snake, I feel like you'd be like, yeah, you know, we're both members of the animal kingdom that are trying to do our thing. With spiders, it's just like, why do you even exist, man? Like, spiders are the worst. I'm very anti-spider. James writes, Buck, love the show. The one foreign policy we have not tried is to rewrite and distribute the Koran, eliminating the parts which include jihad. Passing out a few Bibles wouldn't hurt either. Uh, well, James, I, I like the creativity. I'm not sure that that would have the intended effect, but I, I, I can appreciate where, you're, where your head's at. Uh, let's see here. We have Eric. A lot of cultural appropriation talk. Eric writes, isn't cultural appropriation what America is all about? Give me your huddled masses. Well, absolutely, Eric. This is why I've been saying cultural pro- appropriation cannot be defined, cannot be enforced, cannot even be understood. What is it? What should we do about it? And what punishment should there be for those who disagree or, or refuse to play by the rules? There's no answers to these questions. It's, it's total nonsense. It's emotion and virtue signaling masquerading as some kind of cultural sensitivity. So, uh, you know, and, and America is all about cultural appropriation. That's what we've done. We took all the we, we took all the best stuff from Great Britain. We've taken all the the best uh, traditions from all kinds of cultures all over the world in terms of food and clothing and commerce and you know everything. That's what we're all about here. And this is true of if you go back in into antiquity, even there's a tremendous amount of borrowing for all of the great powers of the world that have gone. You know, we, we think of China as this monolithic state, for example. China for thousands of years has just been people coming and going in different groups and different languages. And uh, it, it's we, we think of it as much more of a solidified mass uh, culturally and otherwise than, than it is. Um, but that's just one example. I mean, ancient Rome. You know, they they used to have the short sword, all right? So ancient Rome was all about the short sword, and then they fought enough barbarians where they decided um, that they would get a longer sword. So, you know, people change these things. The, the gladius was the short sword, right? And, and then they switched to a longer sword after fighting all these barbarians up in Gaul and elsewhere. So you just, you know, you steal stuff from people. When it works, you steal it. Uh, so... Culturally, not I don't mean I don't mean objects. I'm not, I'm not advocating thievery here. So uh, we have so many more wonderful notes here. I'm trying to pick them as we go through. Wayne writes, great reminder of the Haymarket affair on May Day. Thanks for pointing out the anarchist, a.k.a. Occupy movement, which devolved from an anti-monarchy movement in Europe to its numerous permutations of today. I enjoy your cooking and food discussions and voices and accents, Right now, I'm hearing you do Brokaw. Well, I just want to thank you, Wayne, for listening to my radio show. Brokaw, third female accuser, by the way, has come forward. Hmm. All those people that wrote that letter, I'm just wondering, are all all three of the women lying? Or, you know, but I digress. But Wayne, thank you. And yeah, I I like going into some of the history deep dives here and there. So uh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, one more here, Lieutenant Doug, not to be confused with Lieutenant Dan, uh, although both great patriots and great Americans. Plus one for Kung Fury mentioned from yesterday's show. 
It's an over-the-top 30-minute action short that is steeped in all the best parts of the 80s. From a Lamborghini Countach to the hacker with all the dial-up, with the dial-up modem to the L.A. detective with a black belt and a take-no-prisoners attitude, it just doesn't get better than this. Suggest it is paired with your second glass of G4 tequila of the evening. Doug, great message and love the product placement in the roll call. Uh, so, yes, I, you know, I'm right now pouring a glass of G4 for you in my, in my head. And I would just say that it was amazing how many uh, American detectives knew karate in the 90s, right? Police detectives. Everybody knew karate. You, know, you go back and you look, you're like, oh, yeah, of, of course they know karate. And, you know, I, I think that that's one of, the, one of the sad things about modern American cinema is that we've all kind of figured out that you don't just sit at a desk all day and then also you're like the best guy in the world at throwing high kicks. There's actually some stuff that goes into uh, to high kicking. Um, all right, that's going to be it for Roll Call today. Uh, tomorrow's going to be Thursday, which is fun. Please download this show, share it with some friends, tell people about it. Check out some of our wonderful sponsors that I've mentioned to you. It always helps us and them and you, because hopefully you'll love their gear. And uh, until tomorrow, my friends, you know your orders. Shields high.